I'm really, for those of you who are in person this morning, I'm really, really happy to be with you all. For some of you in your employment, you're able to be, uh, you've been interacting with people often um, throughout all of this. I've been stuck in my office on Zoom and on my phone, <laughs> and uh, it's just really good to be with you all. I wasn't even allowed to go to the grocery store. I wanted so bad to go to the grocery store, but apparently when I go, I forget things and I spend too much on things we don't necessarily need. <laughs> So I wasn't allowed, and I, had, I thought that I had on February 1st, I thought I had a dentist appointment. It turns out I got it mixed up in my calendar. It was actually March 1st. But I, was, I hate the dentist. The kids, will, they hear me off and say, oh, going to the dentist is the worst. I was excited to go to the dentist <laughs> because I actually just got to see someone and be with somebody. So any, anyhow, I'm, just, I'm thrilled to be with you all. I'm thrilled that we're making this, uh, this next step. And, and please know that... Um, as things unfold in the weeks to come, the weeks, the months, you know, there is going to be conversation about how we gather and what that looks like. And, and uh, so council is meeting in the middle of March and we'll just, yeah, just be talking about like stuff like congregational singing, stuff like kids ministry and whatnot. Um, you know, all, all appropriate steps, but those conversations will be happening in the weeks to come. So I want to offer you some encouragement there. And I, oh, I, I, wanna, I just want to re-emphasize what Deb shared earlier as well. For those of you on live stream, if you were hoping to be here this, this, uh, this morning, but weren't, you registered too late and it was already full, we need to know from you because we want to get an accurate sense for how many people were, were interested. I was, uh, it, it filled up a little bit quicker than what we thought maybe it would, which is a good sign, interest. Um, so we got to figure out if we should be shifting to two services or if one is good for now and we need to hear from you. So please contact the office by uh, Tuesday afternoon so we can make that, uh, that decision. It's not easy talking about Jesus with other people who don't know Jesus. Right? Is anybody else with me in that boat? It's, it's not an easy thing. It feels strange. It feels awkward. It's like countercultural. You know, you, people say you know, religion and politics is a private thing. And, you know, we, we love Jesus. We've committed our lives to following Jesus. And we think, like, if he's our savior and if he's our king and our friend, like, it should be easy. It should be, we should be excited to talk about Jesus. But the truth is, it's, it's not easy. That's just the reality. You know, you meet the odd person who just, the, I shouldn't say the odd, the wonderful person for whom that flows freely and they're just excited, enthusiastic, but for many of us, it is, it is challenging. Um, I, have, I have two friends who shared stories with me along these lines in the last two weeks, and I check, checked in with them, and, and I'm not going to say their names, but like, yeah, you can go ahead and, and share these uh, stories. So just so you know, I, I got their permission. Sometimes I'm not always sure if you guys are like sitting in fear, like, oh my goodness, what's Ryan going to say about me? And I don't know, maybe, maybe I dance along that line a little bit too much. I try to be appropriate. That. But these two fellows I talked to. Um, so the one shared a story uh, this past week with me about how at work, there's somebody w- with a poster hung up at their desk or wherever. It's a poster of Carey Price, and it says on it, Jesus saves. It's uh, just kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek way, I guess. They're a, they're a Habs fan, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Price is a messianic um, savior for the Habs. He's, he's not really delivering these days, but... So they have this poster, Jesus Saves, and my friend felt this nudge from God to be like, you know what, like maybe I should just mention something. Like that's a conversation starter, chat about the poster and just be like, you know what, like this is who I believe Jesus to be, something along those lines. And so this person was feeling this nudge from God. 
And, uh, but it, he was just expressing like he feels nervous about that. He doesn't know what to say. It feels awkward. But he, he really does want to do that. He wants to open up that conversation, even though it's nerve-wracking. And so it was just a kind of an exciting conversation to have. A second friend, a couple weeks ago, he, uh, we were doing this coldest night of the year thing, texted me, was like, hey, check out this verse. It was Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And he's like, hey, you should post this um, just as like connected with your coldest night of the year campaign. I don't know, just to get the word out. It's a great verse I came across. And I was like, yeah, like that's an awesome verse. I was like, hey, why don't you share it? And then, uh, and then I'll like repost it or something. He's like, no way. He's like, if I posted that Bible verse, the guys at school would ride me so hard. He's like, they give me such a hard time. I was like, yeah, like I, I get that. I get that. That's not an easy thing. And so it opened up another conversation about what does it look like to take these steps of courageous faith? What does it look like to kind of put yourself out there no matter what the fallout is, even if the guys are going to ride you uh, pretty hard. And you know what? I, I get it. I've, I've been there. This is, I think, um, I've, taken, I've, I've taken courses on evangelism. It's still not easy. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, if you don't have your Bibles, I invite you to grab your phone and turn to your Bible on your phone. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, you should get one today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. So if, if you have a phone, you're without excuse. If you don't have a phone, bring your Bible with you next time. Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Continuing our series on joy no matter what. What does it look like to live in this, to step more fully into this life of, of joy? Paul talks about joy a ton in this book. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of our Lord. So when I, when I think about my two friends, the first thing when both of them are having kind of these nudges about sharing or considering this idea of how do I talk about Jesus with the people around me, whether it's my friends at school or my, my coworkers, the first thing I, I think about is like, I love that this is on the radar. I love it. It's exciting. It's exciting that it crosses their minds that the people around them need to know Jesus. In this sense, you know, we, we have something that the world needs. We've been reconciled to God, our creator, through Jesus. And the people around us need that. We don't have it perfect. We don't have it all together. We're a, kind of a messed up, broken bunch. But we know our creator. We know his forgiveness. And we know the hope that we have ahead of us. And so these guys are like, like I know I've got something in Jesus. And I really want the people around me to know that. So that's the first thing. This, this urge that they have, is, it's, it's huge. It's central. 
this desire to share Jesus with those around us. Verse 27 of our text, Paul says a few things, and then he says um, he wants... He wants to know that the people he's writing to, that they stand firm in one spirit, living together as one for the, for the faith of the gospel. It's, this is a call to be unified. He talks about being one in the spirit, but it's a call to be unified for the gospel, around the gospel. There's all kinds of things that can divide us, but that central piece of, I care about the good news of Jesus. That's what I found my life on. He's saying that's what should unify you. And it's my hope and prayer that for us, that that's the peace that unifies us as well. And then this togetherness, unified in the Spirit, together for what? To strive for the gospel. What's the gospel? Maybe that's the million-dollar question. What's the gospel? There are different ways that you can describe it or summarize it, different ways... You, kind of pieces you decide to emphasize, but I would say the gospel is that through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we can be forgiven for our sin and given a hope of the kingdom of God to come. Again, there's all kinds of different ways that you could, things you could emphasize there, but we as the people of God need to be striving toward that, to live into that message. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus enables us to be forgiven, and to have the hope of a future in God's kingdom. We need to be striving together for that. I believe that when we talk about the gospel, and this is expanding a bit more, I believe that it's much more than just personal salvation. It's more than just, I'm going to say a prayer so I can be forgiven for my sins and go to heaven. It's about God's kingdom of justice and of goodness, where there's peace, where there's not poverty, where there is racial justice, where we're developing strong communities of hope. This is all kind of the outworking or a part of the gospel. So when we think of the broadness of it, but I will also say that when we consider the gospel, if all of that good stuff, whether it's working to eradicate poverty, working for racial justice, working for developing strong communities, peace, if we're working toward all of that without Jesus his life, his death, and his resurrection, without that being a part of the picture, we're missing the boat. And it's not the gospel. It's not the good news. The good news centers around Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And those things flow from him. We've strayed from God's call for us if we work toward all of those good things without Jesus. We're entering dangerous, unbiblical, distorted territory. And so with all of that in mind, thinking about what the gospel is, thinking about what does it mean to strive together forward for the gospel, the good news, I think of my two friends, and I love it. I'm just pumped that we had these two conversations in the last week, that it's on their radar to be sharing, to be striving for the gospel with those around them. But as we've already acknowledged, it's going to be scary. It's going to be scary at times. A bunch of years ago, I was at a, a work Christmas party. This was when I worked for Kingsfield Clinton. And I may have shared this story with you before. When I worked for Kingsfield Clinton, I was halftime, and I also worked halftime for the Center for Employment and Learning. And we were at a Christmas dinner. Nice evening together. We were at uh, Part 2 Bistro in, uh, in Goddard, and a couple of my coworkers. No, no, no. Sorry, that year we were at the Park House. Park House, good spot in Goddard. 
coworkers kind of turned to me and they're like, so Ryan, like, why are you a pastor? And these, like, these are the questions that like, I like, hope for. These are the questions I think about. These are the questions that I ask God to bring across my path. And they asked me that, and I kind of froze up and just gave them some like, super lame answer. I don't even remember what it was. I was just like, oh, well, yeah, because I, I love the church and God, I don't know. I don't think they needed like a, a full-on Billy Graham sermon, let's have an altar call here, but it could have been something a little bit more invigorating and lively and inspired than the lame answer that I gave them. And I left that night like kicking myself. Like I said, these are the opportunities I ask God for. But in that moment, I froze because we were having a good time and I didn't really want to spoil it. Because I didn't want to stick my neck out and have people kind of the awkward silence afterwards or the strange questions, or even if it went fairly well, but they kind of think I'm weird after that. I kind of gave them what I figured they wanted. And so anyway, all of that to say that I know that you feel it and I've felt it. It's scary. It's weird. It's awkward. We live in a society that says you keep that stuff to yourself, Right? Even if they were asking me that question. I don't know. And, and maybe it was someone really genuinely asking, but I can sure bet that everybody else around the table wasn't looking for to really hear who Jesus was in that moment. Anyhow, it can be a scary thing. Paul knew that it wasn't going to be easy. That's why he's speaking into this situation. Paul had experienced that it wasn't easy. And, and really, I mean, a coworker being like, well, that guy's kind of weird. Or maybe them even icing you out of the relationships or whatever. Like, that's pretty tame compared to what Paul was enduring. He was in prison. He didn't know if he was going to get out of prison. He didn't know if he was going to see the end of his life before he saw freedom again. And the people that he wrote to, they also faced that same reality. And even if it wasn't the possibility of death, it most certainly for many of them was the possibility of economic hardship. You get kind of pushed out of business relationships, pushed out of common society if they know that you're a follower of Jesus. This was real stuff for them. It's real stuff for many of our Christian sisters and brothers around the world. Many of you are familiar with the work of Voice of the Martyrs. Maybe you saw their presentation here a couple years ago, Solitary Refinement. That's a real deal. But at the same time, we shouldn't acknowledge the fact that for us in our fairly unpersecuted, fairly easy place in society... We still can acknowledge that it's not easy. It still is a little bit scary to say, well, it's so much more intense for them. It's still a reality for us. And Paul knew this. So what does he say in verse 28 of our text? He says he wants us to strive as one for the gospel. Verse 28, he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And then he goes on to remind us, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. When we truly speak the gospel, when we truly believe in the gospel and don't sugarcoat it, it is a message that ought to convict. It's a message that presents people with a choice. It's a message that says, you're missing something. You don't know your creator. You're separated by sin from your creator. And there's different ways that we present it. And, and uh, you know, when I sit down and talk with somebody about Jesus, I'm not telling them, hey, you're going to hell right off the bat. You're heading toward a destiny of life, uh, sorry, a destiny of death. But that is a part of the story. That's a part of what God reveals to us. He says here that you are being saved, and they are not. 
And so that propels us, I think, with courage and inspiration and deep burden and passion. And it's also something that when they truly hear us speak the gospel for what it is, it's a sign to them that they choose to receive or to push away. And in light of this, Paul is saying, and don't be frightened because you know their fu- your future. And you know those who reject Christ, you know their future. Don't be frightened. So we ought not to be frightened when our coworkers maybe mock us, our family members distance themselves from us. This is par for the course. He says those who oppose you. He doesn't say if people oppose you. He says those who oppose you. People will oppose the work of Jesus. When God is revealing who he is into the world, Satan's going to get his back up and he's going to do everything he can to push back hard against that. That message will face opposition. We're not the first ones. Paul knew this personally all too well. So, when you talk about Jesus, I want you to expect to be ridiculed. Don't be like, oh, if I just say it the perfect way and if I'm like really gentle and gracious, don't be a jerk about it. Ask God to discern, is there opposition because I'm just an arrogant jerk? Or is there opposition because of the nature of the message? But expect that. You won't receive that all the time. People will respond. People will open up their hearts to God. And in the same breath, you still will face opposition from others. So expect that. Embrace it. If you've never faced opposition for your faith, if you can't think of any moment in which you stuck your neck out and said, you know what, like this is the life that I have, this is who Jesus is, and someone reacted negatively, if you can't think about that, if that instance doesn't cross your mind, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. And you need to bring this before God and say, God, how do you want to reshape my heart? How do you want to lead me into this? Because Paul talks about this in a way that there's this expectation that everyone's kind of living into this. And let me say, it's not also and only about speaking who Jesus is. It could be financial business decisions. And you're like, you know what? Like, I'm not writing that invoice that way because that's not honest. Or you say, you know what? I'm going to speak up in this situation because what you're saying, like, that's rude. That's sexist. That's whatever. All kinds of examples that I could give you. So I I don't want to let you off the hook from speaking about who Jesus is. There's this expectation. But I also want to say that our living out the values of the kingdom will also bring opposition. So I want to make it narrow, as narrow for you as talking about Jesus. But I don't want to make it only that. Does that make sense? I don't want to let you off the hook about this. But I also want you to see it more broadly and understand that we will face opposition in other ways as well. Remember that when you face opposition, that the opportunity to suffer for your faith is a gift from God. It's a gift. It doesn't find its origin within God, but that opposition, God's actually, he's giving that to you. We see that. Oh, let me say this. If another story or an example, personal example, I remember when I was in, in high school, um, it came up in conversation with a guy in my math class, and I, 
I have no idea how we got here, but I, I shared about how I planned to save having sexual relations until I was married. And that's a pretty strange thing to say when you're 16 in high school. But it came up. And this guy proceeded the next kind of break between classes to shout this out to everybody in the whole hall, like 50 or so odd people in earshot. Hey, did you hear what Ryan's going to do or not going to do? I don't know. So he shouted. My ears were just like burning. Everyone's looking at me like, oh, my goodness. For me, so I Anyway, when we walk with Jesus, we can expect to face that opposition and to receive it as a gift. Now, in that moment, I was embarrassed. I felt super awkward. But it was also a gift. It was a gift that God gave me to shape who I was in a positive way. It was a gift that God gave me to strengthen me. It was a gift that God gave me to encourage me on this journey. And our text says that, verse 29, it says, for it, referring to the opposition, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Suffering is actually something that God gives us as a part of our calling. Sometimes we think of this idea that the Christian journey is, I just believe in Jesus. This text says, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer in him. The belief is the entry point, it's the foundation, but it doesn't stand alone. And that's why I repeat again, if you've never faced opposition, there's a problem because Paul holds it up here parallel, side by side. It's not an option. You're doing both. It's a part of our calling. It's not just for some, some other place, or it's not some who are particularly courageous. For all of us, it's that call to embrace that suffering. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's a gift from God because he wants to do great things through your suffering. God wants to accomplish marvelous things in the lives of others that's going to require suffering on your part. God wants to shape you in important ways through suffering. Good heavens, if, if Jesus came to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of God and that required him to suffer, why should we think that we would be any different? Why did Jesus suffer? Because Satan wanted nothing to do with it. Satan wanted to stop this radical message of self-giving love right in its tracks. He did that full force then. He's going to do that when you stick your neck out, when you take steps of courageous faith. So embrace it. Celebrate it. It might be hard, it might be awkward, but walk away and just be like, yes. Not to, not to pump your tires, not to pump our tires, but celebrate it. Like, this is exciting. This is something that God is doing in me and working out through me. Embrace it and celebrate it because we've been told that this is a part of our walk with Jesus. I came across a story the other week. I listened to the, uh, um, Jenny Allen has a, a podcast called uh, Made for This. If some of you ladies are familiar with If, if Gathering, you might be familiar with, with Jenny Allen. Just, she's an excellent teacher, speaker. If you're looking for a good podcast, Made for This by, uh, by Jenny Allen. And she, was, she had these two guys on that uh, shared the gospel of Jesus at a rave. 500 people gave their lives to Jesus at a rave. So long, long story short, these guys were aware of these raves going on in, in their community. These were guys in their early 20s. There was a lot of high schoolers, and they just knew that this was a huge deal. They'd have these raves, so like 1,000-plus people. If, if you're not familiar with a rave, I mean, basically, it's just a, 
it's kind of like a massive club, tons of electronic music, and you know everyone's, everyone most are high or drunk and highly sexually charged environment. Um, so there's rave, thousand some odd, these are big popular, and like, man, how do we share the gospel in this setting? So they actually went out of their way to befriend the two organizers. The two, they were, these were high school guys that started their own business with their parents' money. Their parents were like, here's some money, go start your own business and make some money. So they're like, all right, we're going to start a rave. And they were making lots of money running these raves. So the two followers of Jesus befriend them, build this relationship, and they say, hey, after, I don't know, a couple months of working alongside them, they say, hey, if we bring 50 people with us to the rave, will you give us five minutes to talk about Jesus? And the organizers are like, sure. I mean, 50, 50 people, I don't know what the cover, cover charge is. I don't know, maybe that's like 500 bucks. Maybe it's 1,000 bucks. I, I don't know. But they, they see the dollars on 50 people, sure. What they didn't know is these guys were bringing 50 people who were trained in evangelism and talking about Jesus with them. And they got everybody praying. And they showed up at this rave thousand plus people and and the guy said he was sweat he was he was nervous he was sweating he's like oh my goodness like what have I got myself into he's like what if they just like I don't know his kind of mind went wild with all the possibilities what if they just like cuss us out and just boom whatever and it just goes goes south and as he was praying he felt God say to him you know what the line was when David walked up to Goliath Goliath mocked him until the moment his head hit the ground or the moment his head fell to shoulders. And God said, you will be mocked. You will be mocked. That's par for the course. Don't worry about it. But I'm going to move here in the same way I did with David. And so he got up there, and he's like, all right, guys. He's like, I want five minutes. I want to tell you about Jesus on the stage. And the one guy's like, get the F off the stage. And he's like, just kept going. 500 other people cursed him out, walked out of the room. Five, six hundred people stayed, and he talked about Jesus for five, five minutes. And he says he didn't sugarcoat the gospel at all. He was just straight up like, you guys, are, you guys are, are heading toward destruction, but God loves you, and God's here for you, but he's inviting you to turn from your ways and to turn toward him. And 500 people that night said, yeah, we want to follow Jesus. That's crazy. Half the crowd. These people are showing up for a rave. They weren't showing up for a gospel message. And then they did a whole, you know, this developed this whole follow-up program because he's like, what good is that if 500 people give their lives to Jesus, but they don't learn how to follow Jesus? So anyway, that's kind of the, the end of the story to my knowledge. But what I hear from that and what they said was, we were scared. We knew that we were going to be mocked, but we walked into it anyhow, and God moved in some pretty significant ways. I'd be pretty shocked if God asked any one of you to share the gospel at a rave of a thousand plus people. If God tells you that, bring it on. Let's figure it out. But I'm going to bet that's not God's calling for you. But what I want to ask you is to hold it out to God and to say, God, what does that look like for me? That courageous step, that one thing. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's next week. Maybe you pray for a couple of weeks about the person or the situation. But what is the step that God is asking you to take? Walk into it saying, I know there's going to be opposition. Walk into it saying, I know I've got the message of a loving creator that people need. And walk into it saying, I have faith that God's going to move in surprising ways, whether it be right now or later on. 
So I want to leave you with that question. As Paul, Paul said, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. Actually, I'm, I'm going to read that just... He says, then whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you were going through the same struggle that you saw that I had. What's the one step that God's inviting you into today? Or in the next week or two? Let's, uh, let's pray. God, we're grateful that we have a message that brings hope. We're grateful that you receive us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin, in spite of our fear, in spite of our division. You're full of grace and mercy and you just keep welcoming us back. You've loved us so well, and, and so thank you that we have this story, we have this reality. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that for every single one of us, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just keep nudging us with this question, what does that courageous step of faith look like this week or next week? We invite you to speak that, and we ask, God, that you would guide us, and we ask that by a move of your Spirit, you would give us surprising courage. God, and we pray now together for those who hear about you, those who we would point toward you. We pray now for them that their hearts would be open and ready and that they would receive you as their intentional, loving creator. Thank you for this beautiful gospel that you have given us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.